Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jay. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Today's topic, Star Trek Discovery Season 2, the series set roughly a decade before Star Trek, the original series. If you haven't watched Season 2 yet but you want to, watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. And howdy. (laughs) Now we were talking just before we hit record. We did Star Trek Discovery, not the full season, but the first, was it the first two episodes? And it was almost like a TV movie, like a prologue to the actual show. Yeah, and that's exactly how they had intended it. When you watch season one of Discovery, your first two episodes is the battle at the bin- of the binary, of battle at the binary stars, and it's all about uh, the main character, Michael Burnham's background, who she is before the series starts. They're not on the Discovery. The Discovery's not in the, these first two episodes at all. It's just her on her original vessel, the Shenzo. And then she things go wrong. Most of the, her characters around her die and she gets arrested for treason. Series done. Nope, that's just the start. The series actually starts properly with episode three. They're on the Discovery. You meet the captain of Discovery, uh, Captain Lorca, played by Jason Isaacs. And then it progresses from there. So this is like the first time that we've really talked about Star Trek Discovery proper on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Discovery has a weird problem. Uh, and it has, all of season one suffered from this. I love season one. And a lot of people did. I know you quite enjoyed what yeah, you Yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it. I did. I liked it a lot. But for Star Trek fans, one, it's set in a space of time where we know what came before it and we know what came after it. So in terms of continuity, people were having problems. The big one was the look of the Klingons because in the original series, there were just regular actors with little Fu Manchu mustaches glued on their faces and a bit of face paint. I think over the years, Star Trek has spent way too much time explaining why and how Klingons look different. Yeah, um, and they, they've on screen for the most part. They ignored it right up until like the final season of Enterprise, which is set like a hundred years before the original series. And they get like you get like an explainer there of why they look like how they do in the original series. But the other thing that Discovery has is Spock has a sister. What? We've never heard of this person before. They have this incredible technology for their spore drive. What? How come they don't use this anymore? Why? We've never heard of this amazing vessel. And they have all, all this stuff that people were annoyed at. But it's There's a lot of course correction in this season. In season two. Like a lot of what you've just raised there, they do explain away. They do. And they always said, if you listen to any... Even season one before it began, I'd already watched a bunch of interviews with the people behind the show. And they all explained... Look, just go with us. By the time the series is done, all of this will be knitted into continuity and it won't stick out. And like I said, season two spend a lot of time like smoothing out the edges so it's seamless. 
Going back to the Klingons, there's literally a line of dialogue that references that the Klingons are now growing out their hair. Yeah, it's... That happens. They're, again, they're going out of their way, whether it's in Discovery, DS9, and the other Star Trek shows, they will explain why and how Klingons end up looking like they do when we see them in the in the Kirk movies, in the original Shatner movies, yeah. and then obviously next gen onwards. It's It shouldn't be necessary, and they, they use it quite naturally, but it is really a, oh, I hear Klingons are growing out their hair now, and that brings them to more of their traditional look. And by the time you put they put that on there in for season two, it's nearly imperceptible the difference between what we've seen up until now, up until Discovery, and Discovery. Honestly, I... Didn't really notice. I just went with it. Okay, so here's some more Klingons. Here's the design. I just went with it. It was that line of dialogue that drew me to it. Yeah. But you're saying it's not necessary. I feel as though for Star Trek fans, it very much is necessary. They like everything to be explained away. If something is different for any particular reason, they want to know how. Yeah, and they they a lot of the dialogue between people and when they come up with a plan is techno babble and jargon because this needs to make some kind of sense and that's what differentiates us from things like star wars where there's a mysticism there that they don't bother to explain whereas star trek no 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 even if i have to explain something stupid like i'm just going to reverse the polarity they you need a, a techno babble of why saying that though star wars in the prequels they did try and say that the force is actually a blood disease <laughs> And then it wasn't, you know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like this mystical thing. It was a blood disorder. Yeah, they actually did an episode of a cartoon to explain away, oh, that Medichlorian thing, yeah, that's nothing. Star Wars fans like Star Trek fans, which, you know, we are fans of both. Yeah. So we count ourselves in this camp, but often like things to be explained. Yeah, especially when it sticks out of, like any, like any fan of any genre, if something suddenly sticks out to you, you need it either... Remove that or explain what you did because you're breaking my immersion. What I liked in season one, which was very Klingon heavy, we do see Klingons in season two, but not half as much, with the first season focusing on the war between the Federation and Klingons. Subtitles. Yes. I really liked that because if it's just the Klingons together, they're not going to be speaking English. And I really liked the use of subtitles. It just added something else to the show it, it, it put the show for me like a different a different class to a different standard it wasn't just your average run-of-the-mill sci-fi show yeah and they uh they really did a great job for season one which was the whole of season one is a war with klingons between klingons and federation and it it highlights the difference between the cultures which is one's a warring culture and it's about honor and the accumulation of honor. And there's a house dynamics, not like Game of Thrones, where it, they're not just doing it for their own glory. They're doing it for their family glory because it's all tied into like an old old feudal type system. And it's different factions, isn't it? And the whole yeah. thing is like, let's unite against the Federation. Yeah, let's stop get using fighting each other to, to get honor. And let's band together and fight other people. It will work better and only at this point can we be truly Klingon and that's the entire push of season one right up until they disappear into an alternate universe <laughs> yeah I mean a lot happened you've got the mirror universe 
they didn't go the the same way they did in the original series where the evil versions have goatees. Yeah. They didn't quite <laughs> use that, but you had the things with the eyes. Yeah. So there were a lot of good twists and turns in season one, but when we get to that finale and, this, and they're on the Discovery and they're being hailed by another ship, yeah. I was literally on my feet. Yeah. When you got to see the Enterprise, I had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah, and it, it's... That's where season two picks up. It's literally that interaction. The Enterprise has shown up. There's Discovery. And they're like, why are you here? We're just trying to get to Vulcan. What's going on? Um, and just a, for a quick recap of season one, Wolf Twinkling on his Federation, Captain Lorca, who has extreme views, unlike a regular Starfleet captain who's in charge of Discovery. Turns out that's because he's not from Starfleet he's from the mirror universe the Terran Empire which is why he's so edged but they he uses the war to disguise his motives phenomenal performance by Jason Isaacs yeah he is great yeah he's for me he's the standout of season one um you have the main character Michael Burnham's love interest uh Tyler or Ash Tyler uh, played by Shazad Latif who also happens to be the main Klingon, Vogue, has been surgically grafted onto Ash Tyler, and that was what was revealed towards the end of season one. It's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on, isn't it? Where yeah. one will inhabit the body and the other one goes away. Yeah. It was an interesting take on a character. I've not seen that in Star Trek before. But with that particular actor... Have you ever seen the show Toast of London? It's a Matt Berry comedy. It was on Channel 4. No. I may have mentioned this when we did our first Discovery episode, but Latif is in that, and he is absolutely hilarious. He plays a character named Clem Fandango. <laughs> it is just... And there's this like same running joke throughout all three series. Brilliant. So I'd always seen him comedic. And yeah. then when he was announced for Discovery, oh, okay, I've not seen that from him. But he is really good across both seasons. Yeah, yeah, he is. And because they wanted to just keep it secret that he was Vogue the whole time, the name credited for Vogue was actually, he used his dad's name. Oh, really? Because they have a different surname. And oh, wow. His dad had died, but his dad oh. was a huge Star Trek fan. Oh, I love that. And that's how they he, they, he snuck it through without anyone realizing. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. But I'm glad that I now do. <laughs> oh, that is really nice. Yeah, the other big thing for season one is uh, the main scientist on Discovery who came up with the spore drive, Paul Stamets. He's a gay character whose partner is the ship's doctor, gets murdered by Tyler, um, and he's dead. And uh, Stamets and Tyler sort of get over this by the end of the first season, but he's dead. Or is he? It had a big impact, Hugh dying, because you don't think a main character is going to die. And there's characters in this show that we see often, mainly on the bridge, but we don't really know who they are. They're not really credited by name. But Hugh, he was a member of the crew that often got referred to his name. We, we saw a bit of his backstory, his love story. So I was generally surprised when he died. It carried a lot of weight. A lot like Coulson in The Avengers, the first Avengers movie. Yeah. And then... When they just bring him back, it's like, well, it kind of takes away from the impacts that his death had in that first season. 
But on the other side of that, really like him as a character. Yeah. So I'm okay with it, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm and, okay with him And returning. it wasn't just like, oh, you're back. Okay, they really dealt with the PTSD cause. Yeah, no, they did. Yeah, so they, they executed it really well. I know there was some changing of the guard behind the scenes. So whether it was always intended that he was going to die and stay dead, and then whoever left the show, and then someone else in season two decided to bring him back, or if it was always the intention, I don't know. But yeah, because they do leave season up. one because the way the ship works, uh, Paul Stamets, it, it's in a, a network that con- connects all of the universe and it turns out the multiverse as well, had seen his partner Hugh in the network after his death and it had helped him and they kind of had, had a spiritual thing of, oh, he's not really gone, he's in the network. And that the... Uh, and you figured at season one that was a spiritual emotional thing like almost like an afterlife but they changed that for season two but we'll get to that when we talk about the episode i want to retroactively give a spoiler warning for season one of star trek <laughs> discovery uh, before season two we got the spin-off web series star trek short treks yes Standalone stories exploring key characters and themes that fit into Star Trek Discovery and the expanding Star Trek universe, but it was primarily Discovery, wasn't it? Yeah, they're all they're all around Discovery, Discovery characters, Discovery time frame. Um, and I thought they were just going to be one and done, just little adventures. My favourite was the first one with Tilly. Runaway. Runaway, yeah, that was my favourite. And then watched the other other ones and did enjoy them, especially the Harry Mudd episode. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fun one. But I didn't anticipate seeing the Queen return from Runaway in the actual series proper. Like towards the end, was it the two part finale? Yeah, we actually got her yeah. come back. And the first thing I noticed, wow, the um, the effects look a lot better. Like you know the makeup that she was yeah. wearing, the design of the alien prosthetics. Looked a lot better in the show, but that is to be expected. Yeah, because for these short treks, they ran about 15 minutes each, rough, rough, 15 to 20 minutes each. There were small character-driven pieces. They were used by the writers on the show. Uh, and for the most part, the effects looked on for the most for a regular part episode. I thought that like, when you saw the ships and just... A lot of the digital effects, I definitely thought it looked part of the show. It was just the design of the Queen. When I saw her in the short tracks, absolutely fine. Didn't think yeah. anything of it. It was a good design. But then you can definitely see that they spent more time and money when she's in the show yeah. itself. Yeah, absolutely. And they did say these were just throwaway, one-and-done stories. But it's nice that they did incorporate them because she had Runaway, which was a character piece between... Tilly and Poe, if she has a very long name, Mihani Ikalhali Kapo. Or the Queen. Or the Queen. <laughs> she becomes the Queen. Uh, the second one was Calypso, which was phenomenal. It's just a single person on the Discovery, which is abandoned, and the ships gained sentience. Really, really well done. And this was, a, for me, the standout because it was just a very small science fiction piece it if, if it wasn't star trek it would still work you know there was an online theory that he was the red angel that makes a lot of sense people do think that i mean we'll get into it he isn't yeah well then, i think with her coming back 
people think, well, maybe he's coming back too. Yeah, absolutely. Then you had uh, the brightest star, which is Saru's entire backstory, which we didn't get any of season one. It is a lot of it is relevant. Like he, it was put out, I guess, in a way to keep to wet people's appetite between seasons one and two. Here, have a little bit of Star Trek Discovery because it was monthly, wasn't it? Each month, yeah. they'd put out an episode. But you're right, a lot of what was happening in these episodes are really relevant to the main series. Yeah, the only one that isn't is uh, the Escape Artist, which is all in Harry Mud, which is brilliant. He's uh, made a bunch of robots of himself, which is true to the character from the original series, and he's sending them out and cashing in on people wanting to get sell him to Starfleet because he's a wanted criminal. It was a good episode. It was funny. Uh, I do think we will see that character again, but we didn't see him again yeah. in this season at all. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason they put him out one at a time was the streaming service, CBS All Access, without anything new Star Trek on there, people had cancelled their subscriptions. So this was a way to get people to onto the pack, onto the platform to watch these four months out from the series actually starting. I mean, here in Australia, we get Discovery on Netflix. Yep. In America, you're right, it is CBS All Access. The only other show I can think of that they have is the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. But they must have something else on there, surely, to keep people NCIS, interested. They have all the NCIS. But new and... episodes, though, or just like the back catalogue? It was a back catalogue at release. I'm just, I don't know what they do new. Oh, I'd hate to That's watch not Star Trek. NCIS. Yeah. If I'm honest. There was a time when I did watch it, but the idea of watching it now. Yeah, because yeah. it's been going a long time. But the other thing that uh, we got with Netflix is none of these short treks went up before time. It was the week of the first episode that they put all these short ones on there. Uh, and they weren't. they didn't just come up. You had to go Star Trek Discovery, uh, uh, trailers and more, and that's where you find in the sub-menu the short trek episodes so, so i definitely recommend yeah there's potentially going to be people that haven't seen them and the, there's gaps in your knowledge then when you're watching season two yeah like the entirety of who the queen queen poe is we're fortunate we got to see them but it is unfortunate if people did have questions when watching it but i do like that they're trying something different like uh, cbs all access being a streaming service yeah that they're actually being experimental with it putting things out that wouldn't necessarily get put out on tv yeah, and it gives the the writers a chance to stretch the legs, do something different before they get bogged down with the the overarching story of the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, definitely check them out. They they should still be on. They are on Netflix in Australia. Hopefully, with everyone else as well. So on with the episode. In the second season, after the war has ended, Discovery investigates seven mysterious signals and a strange figure known. As the Red Angel. And then as the episodes unravel, we get to find out the identity or identities even <laughs> of the Red Angel. But let's start by talking about Sanuqua Martin Green as Michael Burnham. Yeah, the definitely the the heart of the show. It is her show. It's no one else's. She's not a captain, which is this is a big departure that they did in season one and continue through season two. Uh Traditionally, any Star Trek show centered around a captain and every and everything else branched off from them. But it is her show. She continues to be the driving force for season two. But the show has always 
had a strong captain. And then we spoke about LaRocca in season one. Yeah. But you're right, she's not the captain, but she is our main character. And the big differences I found in that first season, she's very Vulcan. Yes. Yeah. She's, you know, almost cut off from emotion, and that is by design. Yet when you get to her character in the second season, she's probably one of the more emotional characters on the ship. Yeah, and throughout a lot of the episodes of season two, it is up to her to do all of the emotional heavy lifting, whether it's uh, doing the tears in the eyes, doing the stress, um, because she's a human raised with Vulcan parents who happen to be Sarek and Amanda. Who's human. Amanda's human. She's human, yeah. But those are Spock's parents, for those who didn't watch season one. So she's Spock's sister, older sister, um, because she was raised in the same household with him. Uh, the idea was Spock needed to learn some emotional stability from a human. Um, she was broken and needed help. And uh, they were, her parents, on official record, were killed by Vulcan logic extremists. This show has been established many times over. It is canon. It's part of the Star Trek Prime universe, which would have it tie into Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Yeah, and he has another brother. He's got a half-brother in that. And his half-brother, is it Sarak? Sarak? But his half-brother in that movie, his issue with Spock is that he's too human. Yeah. And then his half-sister in Discovery, her issue with him is that he's too Vulcan. (laughs) Yeah. The guy just can't catch a break. Yeah. What is he supposed to do? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and Vulcans, of course, have a ridiculously long lifespan of you know, up to 300 years or more. So there's no stepping on continuity there because Vulcan, uh, uh, Spock's other brother, older brother, could easily have been from a previous marriage for Sarek. I mean, yeah, we are led to believe that it still happens at some point somewhere. Yeah. Which means he has these two experiences. Yeah. Two Vulcan, two human. Yeah. Sort it out, Spock. Yeah. Yeah. How is he supposed to solve this conundrum? And, yeah, and it is the driving force of the season. And it is a lot of the... You spend the first half of the season, where Spock? Okay. We're talking <laughs> about Spock already. So we've got Ethan Peck, who I yes. found out is the grandson of Gregory Peck. Yeah. Wow, that's, yeah. that's pretty, pretty, um, pretty impressive. But we see older Spock. He's got a beard. Yeah, I've not seen Spock with a beard before. No. Later he shaves, and I kind of miss the beard. But that's yeah. okay. You know, either way, we get two good-looking Sparks: beard, no beard. But I thought the rift that divided them was going to be something so big, so impactful. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. No, but they they kind of built it up like. She wounded him so severely. She was rude to him as a child. Like, that, you know, like kids do. They say mean things to each other. Yeah. And he really, I mean, I guess he couldn't emotionally regulate how to respond. So he took it, you know, really badly. But she was trying to protect him. And Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's not, it doesn't come off as a strong enough reason for them to have such a big problem. Especially when Amanda is like, I know what you did, Michael. <laughs> I yeah. know what you said to him. And it's like, come on, Amanda. It wasn't that bad. Be a parent. Yeah. Get them together. Voice their differences. But anyway. Yeah. That uh, One thing I do think that they did really well with these two characters is 
the sibling bickering that goes on between them. They're both intellectuals, so it, yeah, they use it as a way to get around, get through uh, intellectual problems they are having. But they really do feel like kids who are trying to one-up each other and taking swipes at each other. They do, and at the same time, Peck, for me, always feels like Spock. Yeah. Because he's playing in, a, in an interesting area, isn't he? Because we've got... Who is the... I'm blanking on the actor on the in the JJ movies. Zachary Quinto. That's right. And he was doing more of a Nimoy Spock, wasn't he? Yeah. But then in this particular show, we're getting like Spock before all of that, you know, before the the movies. Yeah, and that's in a different timeline. And so, he's uh, he seems oh, more no, emotional because so he's in a relationship I mean the, with... the Shatner movies. Like yeah. before the Shatner movies. Yeah, with the Nimoy stuff, he was always very dry and there was... Uh, ending on the original series as well. But you Spock know what? was always the the cold hard logic. Who there was some warmth there, but that developed over time. Whereas on the Abrams movies with Quinto, he was in a relationship with a horror, which is very so, different. Yes, and he was more emotional there. Whereas with Discovery, with Ethan Peck, he is doing the Vulcan cold. This is before he's met. Kirk and like opened up more and he does a great job. Let's shelve the JJ movies. We'll leave yeah. we'll leave them alone. But what I just realized when we got the the unaired pilot, the cage, yeah. before Shatner, when we got the original Christopher Pike, Spock was in there, but it was played very differently, wasn't he? He was and uh, he was played emotionally. And um, he wasn't cold and calculating. So it's almost like where Ethan Peck's Spock sits, it's between the unaired pilot and Kirk. So he's playing in an area that we've not seen from Spock before. Yeah, and he has a phenomenal uh, relationship with his captain, Captain Pike, who, for Leonard Nimoy, the actor, original actor who played Captain Pike, who I'm blanking on right now, he played the captain very dry, very no-nonsense, and very small. So Leonard Nimoy's acting choice was to go big with his emotions, big with everything else, which was not how the character was written, but was necessary to make the scenes work. When they shot the second pilot with Kirk and William Shatner, William Shatner was big and loud and William Shatner, which allowed <laughs> Leonard Nimoy to play the character as intended, which was small, tight, and um, emotionless. But yeah, they, they leave it in canon and so, yeah, he does have that, like, when he first comes uh, onto Discovery and reacquaints himself with Captain Pike, the first thing he has is this little smile on his face, like, ah, I'm home. <laughs> Let's talk about Pike. Anson Mount. I've not seen the TV series Hell on Wheels, so my first exposure to him was Inhumans. Same here. Awful show. Yep. He was pretty good for the most part. In fact, no, he was decent in it. Yeah, he was, he was really good, but he, of course, due to the character in that show, Can't he doesn't speak. speak. Nope. And he speaks in this, and he, in season two for me, favourite character. Same, same. He is absolutely phenomenal. He's got that, he probably is more Kirk than the original Pike, and he's got that twinkle in his eye. There's, there's something about him, and when you get to see the updated original series costumes, and they they mention like someone, they mention the orange. Oh, you're wearing the orange. I always took it as like a gold or a yellow. It is gold. Uh, that line is referring to the, the it's actually it looks more like a red on the 
bridge of the of the Enterprise. But he's they actually th- in the first episode when he comes on board Discovery, he's, uh, he's sure on there with yeah. two officers, and his science officer is like, "Oh, I can see where all the money for Starfleet's going." And he makes a line, "Do not cover thy neighbor's starship." Besides, we're the ones who got the new uniforms. So the uniforms that they have on Enterprise and which we are used to from the original series, they're the new ones post-Discovery. They are, but it's Michelle Yao. I think one of her final scenes this season, she refers to them as orange. orange. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, but maybe that's just her interpretation, but I'd always taken them as gold or yellow. Yeah, because it's supposed to be command gold. But that threw me, her line yeah. threw me. But maybe, you know, yeah. she's not speaking fact. Like, she's yeah. just, that's her opinion, not the opinion of the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm very particular when it comes <laughs> to Star, Star Trek uniforms. Very particular. Favorite yeah. uniform, First Contact. Love that one where yeah. it's the blue padded shoulders. Yeah. Well, and then the, the black, color, black. is that yeah. the polo neck? Yeah. Or the turtleneck? Yeah, yeah. It's the underneath poking out what, what's coming on. Anyway, costumes out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> but I do I do really like the the original style costumes for Enterprise crew. They look I great. Do. I do. They're updated but you know, they look more official because they're prob in canon, they're more likely to be doing first contact missions. Did you like the the design then? When you see the Enterprise, they've they're trying to give us like a slightly updated version of that original series. Yeah. Where it does look a bit wobbly walls you know it's yeah. got like and it's got the flashing lights and they don't have the same technology and they make reference as you've said there that discovery is like the like the head of the fleet it's like it's, yeah, it's the most advanced yeah. yeah it's the most advanced and that's why it can do and looks the way that it does yeah but i was completely okay with them rebuilding that original bridge from the tv series so am i and it does look different on discovery from that final episode of the first season and throughout all the times it appears in season two, because legally they had to change it enough because had to pay someone who owns the design of the original Enterprise. So the tweaks they made weren't just to update it visually, which, let's be honest, they should have done. But it's also to get around the rights issues they had. Well, that's resolved now then, because the bridge does look... The same, isn't it? Or they still have to It's the same it? general layout, but again, like, I mean, you can't build out the original materials because it was plywood and it doesn't look right on high-definition cameras, but the spirit of it is there. The layout been, of who yeah. sits where is there. It's been a long time since I have seen the original series, so I guess from memory, they nailed it. Yeah. The, the sound do. effect when the door opens. Yeah, all of that is The perfect. noise of the Enterprise, yeah. that... that siren that faint siren that goes off all the time yeah yeah and even when they shoot their um their phases and their torpedoes it's the use of the original sound effects yeah i i loved all that there's probably a lot more fan service in season two than season one yeah but i'm watching it as a fan i'm okay with that yeah more <laughs> i mean we get some real fan service when we, when we do the breakdown of the episodes there's yeah. like the biggest fan service ever in one particular episode yeah but yeah anton mount Captain Pike, phenomenal. And he's he's warm, but he's authoritative, but he's also competent and he's willing to, yeah, I made a mistake there. I'll, he takes advice on board. He, he really does exactly what you want a captain to. And he's an unlike Picard, who always follows the rules, 
Pike is a character that will bend the rules if it means protecting his crew. Yeah. Which yeah. I really liked. But he's also... Section 31 comes into it on the show, which is the intelligence... Gray, well, they operate in the grey area for Starfleet, and he's very against them. That's not how we operate. I don't like the way you work. You're too grey. We have an ideal we're supposed to step up towards. So he's not... He's willing to break rules, but... Uh, as long as they don't conflict with the morality. Except that one time, Prime Directive, <laughs> what Prime Directive? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, Jacob, yeah, 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 yeah. let's tell him the truth. You know, yeah, we don't want to yeah, keep Jacob yeah, in the yeah. dark. Yeah, he plays fast and loose with the Prime Directive, but when it comes I, to I other things, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And Section 31, I looked into it, Deep Space Nine. Deep they first yeah. appeared on that show. Yeah. Yeah, and they, uh, they've used them ever since, including the Enterprise series, which was set and a uh, hundred years before this uh they kind of get established in that series i am a star trek fan yeah i grew up watching star trek i haven't seen an episode of enterprise i can't yeah. explain it <laughs> like even when even before you know when it was coming out as a new show so there was, i didn't hear any opinions on it just something about it i just didn't watch it yeah it I quite like it, but it is the it is probably the hardest one to watch to get into. It might just be Scott Bakula because it's just Who I do him like. In. I do like him. Yeah, he but you can't help but feel a bit quantum leap whenever you look at him. Because of that show, he's yeah. why I like him. <laughs> but when and you know, when they announced Discovery and it's like, Oh, they're gonna go back even further, I'm like, Oh, really? Yeah. But I love Discovery. So yeah. That worked, that worked out quite well. We've got Doug Jones as Saru. Yeah. The master of Working inside a latex costume. And he's still doing his supermodel walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which works really well. Um, he's brilliant. His character arc in this season is really great. They made him better. Yeah, they That did. particular episode, when you find out that what he believed to be happening on this planet wasn't really happening, and he become more less docile and more like capable in a fight like the scene where he wants to do one thing and pike's like no and he's pushing back on pike yeah you generally like feel that tension whereas you would not have got that from saru at all so it feels like the development in his characters really helps the show yeah because season one at first he's a clear number three behind burnham on the shenzo but when you move to Discovery, he is the number two above Burnham because she has no rank for most of season one. And for season one, he's trying to figure out what kind of captain he wants to be one day, but he's still working from a number two position. From from the time that finishes, though, where he is a competent captain, but he's only acting captain, his character progression continues and the physical and emotional evolution that happens to his character seems like almost like it was always going to happen with the way his he was becoming more comfortable in an authoritative role. But Doug Jones does a really great job. How he's able to emote through all that prosthetic makeup is uh, he deserves the Oscar he has for Shape of Water. And it's great that, you know, he does have a part in that movie, that he has a part in this, because often, like, he plays the body. Yeah. But it's good to that he's doing everything here. He's doing the acting, he's doing the motion. Yeah. And he's an integral part of the crew, not just because he's a senior officer, but he has the talents he has are 
integral. They have a whole episode. He learned 94 languages, which sounds excessive, but they, they give you that line before it's in an episode where it's essential for that useful, uh, tr uh, talent to be utilized. But any, yeah, cause it's part of his backstory of he's the only Kelpian in Starfleet. But it it all works really well. Like he's also exceptionally intelligent. It's not just the I know languages or I've gone through the training program. He's also able to, as someone starts to explain something, oh, my scientific knowledge. Yeah, we go, we do this. We and he's he's he can follow along with how where a plan's going. So it's similar to Worf in Next Gen, how he was the first Klingon in Starfleet, but he went into a security position. Yeah, because whereas Saru has gone gone a different way, but then. I do like it on a show like this where you do have someone who is that little bit stronger, more capable. So you know that, you know, when the shit hits the fan, someone like Worf, now Saru, can step up physically. They have that on the Orville as well. They've got a, a Klingon type race yeah. on there when they're head of security. They're a little bit stronger than everybody else. Yeah. Um, and also he has better vision than everyone else. He can see into the ultraviolet spectrum, which comes in handy from time to time. And he almost has like a, a spidey sense or a spider sense. He used to yeah. anyway. He didn't yeah, quite yeah. have that anymore, does it? Like he's uh, what yeah. uh, tendrils on his neck. It's, yeah, his, uh, they would they would raise when he ganglia. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they would raise when he was when he was afraid. But now weapons. Yeah, he can fire them at people. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Uh, the other big character that we should get to, Paul Stamets, is played by Anthony Rapp. I felt as though he was a lot more integral in that first season where they had to hook him up to the ship so they could use the drive and move from space to space. In this, he is still integral. You know, we mentioned before he's got the he's got the love story, but I feel as though by introducing that new quirky engineer, there was less for him to do. Yeah, and for uh for Sinequa Market and Green, she was toned back a bit in terms of screen time, as was um, a lot of other characters, to make way. Stamets seems to have lost the most of his screen time per Very episode. Very noticeable, I thought. And that seems to be to flesh out all of the other characters they completely ignored for the first season. But, you know, he's... The season starts after everything that happened season one. He's going to leave Discovery. He no longer cares about the mycelial network and all that. He wants to take a teaching position on Vulcan. Uh, but then Captain Pike takes over Discovery. They're on this weird thing. Tilly is trying to drag him out of his this funk he's found himself in. And he spends a lot of the season kind of going between uh, a strange euphoria to what's happening around him with that emotional quirkiness he picked up in the first season and depression for when his partner comes back and doesn't immediately just get back on the horse. But as a character, he it's not just a spore drive. Again, he is he's an engineer himself, so they use him to come up with a bunch of techno garbage to, to get them in and out of the situations. Unfortunately, I don't have a name in my notes. What is the name of the new engineer that comes on board? Her name is Jet Reno, as played by Tig Notaro. She's really good in this. She like, is great. Her real name 
Sounds more fake than her <laughs> fake name. What I will say about her character, it's as if she's on the wrong show. Yeah. But I love her in this. But she, I mean, she's just not Starfleet material. Like, she's got the knowledge and she's very good at what she does. Yeah. But just the language. Like, what, was it the finale when she says something to the captain like, get off my ass? Yeah. Uh, I mean, captain. Yeah. Get off my ass, captain. There's something like that. Which is, she's really good in this. But she is not a Star Trek character. But she's really really good yeah and she seems to be being brought into she's also an engineer she's the complete opposite of stamets stamets is generally quite tightly wound and he's found a familiarity with the rest of the crew but she is his exact opposite who just gets under his skin no matter what it is they're doing and she doesn't like him because he's too tightly wound they play really well for each other, and then you find that there is that mutual respect for each other. Like they might not like how they go about things, but the respect is there. Yeah. But at first, I'm like, we've kind of, although to begin with, an ensign, we have Sylvia Tilly played by Mary Wiseman, but she's already that quirky character. Yeah, but she's that quirky character who's lovable, and she's it's she's all about helping everyone and getting on the right side, whereas. Uh, Jet Reno is all about she's abrasive. She's one's one's fun and like, oh, let's move that out. And she's abrasive. And, and it works. It does work. So initially and that's what my thought was. Yeah. But then those three characters together work really well. You compare them off in twos and they like the the chemistry and the the difference in characters, like this is not the same character in a different uniform. Yeah. They they really feel like fleshed out real people and I really like the character of Tilly. One, it's my daughter's name, so I enjoy hearing <laughs> it in Star Trek. But she's a really interesting character. Although when she's seeing her best mate that's in the in the drive, yeah. that lagged a little bit for me. Like yeah. they do get to a point and it's it's relevant why it's happening, but it went on a little too long because you get the um, like the sci-fi horror when you've got Tilly trapped inside. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and she's she's phenomenal. She's she was a fan favorite for season one, continues for season two with her crazy brave style, red curly hair, you know, big hair, big personality. And she doesn't look like someone out of Star Trek, which which I like because, you know, representation is important. And yeah. on Star Trek, we're seeing people of different heights, sizes, species. Yeah, yeah. and uh, she's a bit more neurotic. Uh, and she's Michael's best friend, also roommate. And even in that bit, they're, they're complete opposites, which complement each other. And the way they started when they first met and where they are now, you just believe it, like the, their relationship has just grown organically, and yeah, they, they play really well together. In fact, Tilly works with any character, like yeah. when you've got her and the captain, yeah, her yeah. and Saru. That yeah, she's just she's the uh, she's the ultimate extra character to have. She's a standout for me, yeah, for sure, and that's why it was so good to see her in that first short treks episode. Yeah, Ash Tyler, we've spoke about him a little bit, Shazad Latif. When we first see him, big beard, man bun. Yep. <laughs> but okay, he looks more like a barista than a member of Starfleet. Yeah. Although he's wearing his uh, pretty cool black leather yeah, outfit. Yeah, black leather. Uh, which almost continues because where he is, he's working from season one. He's the torchbearer and the right hand of Laurel on the Klingon High Chancellor. He's So he's kind of like her 
personal bodyguard and her number one. Uh, start of the season, still serving in that capacity. Something happens and he has to leave uh, the Klingon homeworld. Enters back into Starfleet. Into Section 31 because it fits better with his character in that kind of weird grey area. It works, Where yeah. he is because of the two halves of him, Tyler and Voke. He's damaged and you, he really portrays that perfectly. Like someone who... Who, who's a, a foot in two worlds and it comes across and it really helps when they bring back in uh, Hugh. He is the most like Hugh, despite the fact that Dr. Colbert really has a problem with him because he well, was he killed, killed him. by him. He snapped his <laughs> neck. I, I can <laughs> I can get behind that grudge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is, of course, Wilson Cruz playing Hugh. Who, yeah, he comes back. Other than Spock in... The th- third Star Trek film, they've never the brought... for Spock. That's yeah. right, he died in... in at the end, Ratha Khan. And they used the the regenerative energy of the new world that Skin created in the third one to resurrect him. But everyone was happy to have Spock back, so people just went with it. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of that here for, for Wilson Cruz as well. He was a fan favourite in season one, and they figured a way to bring him back for season two, using... The mycelial network, this kind of weird thing between universes that connects all life and recycles all matter and energy in the universe, and they somehow bring him back using... I mean, it tracks. Okay. Mushrooms? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah, they use mushrooms. Uh, Amanda Grayson, played by Mia Kirshner. Yes, this is Spock's mum. Uh, she was in season one. She comes back season two, and she's... She's not the this quiet uh, Vulcan wife because she's human, but also you know she's not the the quiet wife you'd expect for a Vulcan diplomat. She's very much I've got his diplomatic immunity. I'm gonna abuse it slightly. <laughs> I don't really remember her character outside of the JJ movies. She does appear. She, yeah, played by Winona Ryder in the in the. Uh, Abrams movies. We but... did try not to mention him again, but yeah. that's the only other time I can think of seeing that character. I'm sure she's been around before in the original series or movies, has she? She, oh, or maybe just mention of her because we've always Cause... known he had a human mother. Yeah, and it... you do see her in the original series when a mock time when uh, Spock goes to Vulcan because it's time for breeding. As a, oh, okay. Yeah, they have an thing? uncontrollable thing oh, wow. every seven years where they have to breed or go into some trance to to get rid of the emotions because it's a, it's a side effect of having repressed their emotions. And don't they do something with Klingons in Star Trek Insurrection when they go through puberty late or they go through puberty twice? No, it's because of the, the weird energy and his de-aging. It oh, kind of triggers right. the, okay. the hormones he would have had it. But you just reminded puberty. me of that when yeah. you were talking about, you know, horny Spock. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I also th- uh, vaguely recall Sarek on Next Gen also with his wife, Amanda. And in that episode, it's Star Trek, so people live a lot longer because of medical technology. I can't remember if she that was Amanda though, or if Zarek had had a second human wife. But if it is Amanda, she understands that as Zarek is getting older, he's losing uh, grip of his logic, 
and Picard has to absorb all the, those emotions he goes through so Sarah can do some diplomatic thing. But she has appeared before, but nowhere near to this scale. And she does a really good job. She's motherly. She's You can see where Michael maybe picked up a bit of her, her anti-authoritative nature and working in a grey area between... You were given a command, and she's like, "Was I? I can, I can work around that." Um, and yeah, she, she's great. She's not in it a lot though, uh, she, but although she's in it more this season than uh, Sarek, James Fran, Rain. Yeah, maybe I was remembering it wrong then, because I, I remember seeing her quite a bit, or maybe it was more so towards the end when we get more of Spock that we're, we're seeing her. Whether it's in flashbacks or interacting with with Michael, but you're right, we're definitely getting less Sarek yeah. in, in this season. Which, although I really liked him that first season, it's good to have him back in this. I didn't. I think there's so much going on. I didn't necessarily miss him as a character. No, and you don't need this this Vulcan. We have another Vulcan. Well, that's it. <laughs> it was really novel seeing him in that first season because it was exciting because that's Spock's dad. Yeah. But now look. Spock. Yeah, yeah. We this... don't need Spock's dad. Yeah, he's surplus to needs. And for Sarek and Michael, in the first season, they had come to a, a, a great place emotionally. There was nothing more to achieve there character-wise. It's not, This season, it's all about Spock and getting him to a, a, a space with these characters. We have Michelle Yao back as Philippa Giorgio. Yes. And she is great. I don't care which version of the character she's playing. I'm interested in both. Yeah, and she gets a lot more fun with the this season's version because, of course, she is from the Mirror Universe and she's a former emperor of an entire empire and she doesn't like having to take orders from other people. When it's revealed that Pike has known all along, made me smile. Yeah. Because Pike is such a good character and really interesting and everything's going on. But then you find out that, yeah, no, he knows. Like, there's not something going on under his nose that he isn't aware of. But that's that thing where he's a bit loose yeah. with the right and wrong. And it's sort of like, if it's for the right reasons, he'll just go with it. Yeah. And uh, they do great stuff with Michelle Yao, where even the Mirror Universe version of Philippa Giorgio has this... Uh, motherly bond with Michael Burnham that she tries to hide but she can't help but act on throughout the whole season she's doing small things to help Michael that she claims is just for her own needs and and Michael the whole time is don't trust you, you're a psycho this series does have a strong sense of family you know whether it's Pike willing to sacrifice everybody on board to get his missing crew back you definitely get that feel of family. And then again, like with Giorgio, like her having that care factor for for Burnham. And then you've got Spock's mother and it is very family oriented. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done. We've got Alan Van Sprang as Leland. You know, he's introduced at first. He's a bit of a dick. Yeah. But then as it progresses, he's taken over, he's possessed and he goes full evil. Yeah. And when you've got somebody like Michelle Yao, use her. Don't just have her standing around talking, yeah. having her doing those stunts. Like when she's doing martial arts and there's that full-on fight sequence and the room's turning, incredible. 
Yeah, and, you know, she's physically outmatched because when they get to this point, he but is... she's got the technique, though. Like, she, yeah. she is, like, physically, like, he is... He's got one up on her, but the way she's moving and getting around, it was really good to see. Yeah. And in Star Trek as well. You would not have had this happen in Next Gen. No, no, no. Like, any time they had... Uh fisticuffs in next gen it always felt a little stiff but clearly with someone of michelle yao's ability uh and with uh modern fight choreography they take it to another level uh, and everyone does that whether it's michael burnham uh ash tyler anyone who gets in hand to hand you can see the the military influence that starfleet's supposed to have that they're supposed to know how to take care of themselves uh, but he does, uh, Alan Van Sprang does a great job from the, the unsure guy who's having his underling always get one over on him in the first half of the season to the ultimate bad guy, uh, you know, not quite mustache twirling, but definitely evil at the end of the season. And I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but in this, He's really good. Like, I thought he was a really, really good to have him be the face of the ultimate villain in the end. Yeah. At the end of the series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll do a quick run through of the bridge crew who got so obviously ignored first season. You have at helm, Keela Detmer, played by Emily Coots. Uh, she was the one who was part of the Shenzo. On the in the first two episodes, is she the one with the shaved head yeah. and the thing on her face? Yeah, and the thing on her eye. Yeah, on the, one of her eyes. So she's got kind of this cool, super modern haircut, but she's got a, a plastic metal thing on a on over one eye, and one eye is discolored because it must be it's cybernetic it, or an augmentation, as, if, as they call it. Instead of giving the characters names on the show, let's just give them like one distinctive look each, so they can be referred to as the shaved head girl. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm hearing that name for the first time. What's her character called? Detmer. Detmer. Yeah. Okay. But she's the pilot of Discovery. We see her every episode. Every (laughs) single episode. She's always there. And she gets a lot more to do this season. Like, she gives a speech when one of the other characters dies uh, because... The character that we got to know at the beginning of the episode. So therefore, we will care when she dies at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, okay. in, the, in the traditional Star Trek way. The blue robot lady, that's yeah. not actually a robot. She is human with advanced cybernetics. Yep. Uh, but And I'm sure you've got her name there. Arium. There we go. Uh, but yeah, for for, for Detmar, she sees she's she enjoys it. She's she really loves the crew. She loves flying. Uh, you just get to see her piloting on display for a few episodes this season not they get into some dog fights she does the donut in space in episode two uh when they uh, have to draw away the radioactive material which was a really good memorable scene but i do think this is a setback for discovery compared to pretty much all the other star trek series that i've seen but if you go back to the first next generation episode what was it encounter at farpoint yeah you you get introduced to everybody this is who this is the name this is what they do on the ship now that's out of the way 
let's carry on. And we don't really get that with Discovery. Yeah, because it's so clearly uh, Michael Burnham's series. And shorter as well, like shorter episodes. Like I think Next Gen would have got, what, 22, 23 episodes yeah, per season? Yeah, so they could, they could flesh it out more. And they were episodic, whereas this is, there's a, a, a thrust of a story throughout the whole season. And because it's one character's uh, journey... Everyone else kind of has to take a back seat because, yeah, if it was another Star Trek series, they all started off with every character got their introduction moment. Data was whistling on the holodeck. Um, Riker for Next Gen for that first episode. He was a guy down the planet um, and he's poking his head around before he takes over command and bits like that. Whereas for Discovery, they completely ignore it. Uh, her Detmer's side body is lieutenant joan Oasukan. i think i've completely butchered that uh, i wouldn't know because i don't think i've heard the name before. yeah <laughs> uh actress oyen oladeo uh she's the the african uh ops is the station she right, uh, okay she occupies in oh the... that's right because she's got the weird haircut thing as well where it's yeah kind of yeah like shaved really low around her ears yeah yeah and then tied back into like a long ponytail again it's like if people aren't going to remember the names let's give them a distinctive look each yeah and for a few episodes for this sake of this podcast i watched through all of season two again i paid more attention to bridge officers which is probably why i noticed more right bits okay. and pieces yeah. with them but for for uh this character specifically Pike uses her name quite a few times. Oh, does he really? <laughs> but I completely missed out the yeah, first, no, I, first I viewing that. when I was watching it week to week. But I yeah. mean, honestly, I do think that characters will use other characters' names. I just feel like there's nothing memorable about it. So the show, I guess, is doing it. Is They're not like saying, oh, you. Yeah, <laughs> They're yeah. giving us the names. It's just not memorable. Like, I can tell you, you know, Hugh and like other characters because... I guess you spend more time with them being characters instead of just being someone that's has like a couple of exchanges with on the bridge. Yeah, and they have emotional arcs that go multiple episodes where uh, the only thing any of these other bridge characters seem to do is their name gets mentioned and they get an, a command from time to time. Except for uh, Oesuken, she is in the episode, the second episode when they go down on the planet that has been a human colony kind of transported. She's part of the away crew because she grew up in a commune that was rejecting of technology. Ah, okay. So she has it. She works out there. So I thought they were going to do this character moment for like what every single one of these bridge crew members. You just know when that actress read the script for that episode, she was so happy. Yeah, she's like, oh, I finally get to do something. She's like, see you later, bridge crew people. Yeah, she. And I've she, made the big time. Yeah, <laughs> and she gets them out the uh, the locked basement by like picking the latch from inside using a magnet but yeah so outside of the bridge crew there and i'm glad that you i think it's important that we did take some time and dedicate to the bridge crew so thanks for that yeah. number one we get rebecca remain and i did not realize that was her because no. i think they've gone out of their way to make her look closer to the original number one yeah and her character name is number, number one, one. Only number one. Yeah. Even in these moments where characters start being referred to as name, and I'm like, they're going to say it, they're going to say it, and they go, number one. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you almost go out of the way to avoid telling but you I her name. But I love that. And she's really, really good in this. And she's yeah. got such a strong presence. So when you see number one Pike, Spock, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready to follow you on the Enterprise. Give me that show. Absolutely. And they do a lot of great things. She, again, Pike is the captain and he has to play by the rules for the most part and then he has spock the most logical person around him and then he has number one the most free and loose with the rules you could ever imagine who seems to have a favor owed by everyone but you look at the original cast though like the original series you've got mccoy yeah he's kind of like that as well yeah yeah, she, and she fills that role for the Enterprise crew. I really like her yeah. in this a lot. She eats burgers and chips with jalapeno sauce. She enjoys shakes. She's she's got that uh like a fifties uh a Catherine Hepburn kind of swagger. Swagger to her. and the hair as well. And I think Pike also has a similar air of look to him as well. Like they feel like of that time, fifties, sixties, and, yeah. and it really works. But what you just mentioned about number one's like character traits or like things that she enjoys. Other than having a name like number one, which is very memorable, that's examples or they're examples of how you get to know and learn a character's name. Yeah. Bridge crew, they don't have that. They're not off eating jalapenos and Yeah, they're they're just at the stations and when they're not at the stations, uh you completely forget they exist. But she's brilliant in this. And we also we should also mention and we should also mention Melissa George as Vena. Yes. This is the fan service episode. We will get into like we'll do a quick breakdown, working our way through each episode, so we can speak more to Vina there. But at first, I did not recognise that as Melissa George at no, all because I. just like number one, they've really gone out of the way to make it look like that original actress. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's spotless. You can't have Star Trek without music, and once again, Jeff Russo scoring not just the main theme he does every single episode yeah and it's brilliant there are times especially whenever there's an emotional scene the music's not intrusive but it it really allows you to connect with what's happening with whatever characters on screen i really enjoy the discovery theme it's not as fanfarish as all the traditional the uh, Star Trek series. It isn't, but the actual score for each episode, like when it calls for it, I love when he draws inspiration from the original Alexander Courage yeah. Star Trek theme from the, the original, original series. Yeah, it's, you get that little doom. The little, and the twinkle. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's just perfection. It is. Yeah, I love what Russo is doing on the show. So I want to give a special shout out to him because, yeah, I, even Jerry Goldsmith, you know, back in the day doing the other Star Trek yeah. TV series. He's doing all, back in the 90s, did all of them. Did Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, did he Voyager, start, yeah. and the films. But did he start with, yeah, the motion picture? Because that was the theme that was adapted for Next Gen, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I love the, I'd say the Star Trek themes are my favourite from most series there's such strong themes that they're distinctive so you can tell which one's which but they they feel like they belong together yeah yeah absolutely i love the music from star trek i really do <laughs> and and you're right this discovery theme is really strong yeah so we can go through the episodes now then the first one brother yes 
we have the opening. Uh, Michael Burnham is doing her monologue of the myth of from a, a world where a girl grabs ash and throws it into the air and creates the stars and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but you're right, though, because this is like the equivalent of like a captain's log. But she's yeah. doing it. She It's the first time... Because we didn't get that from her in season one, did we? No, no. That's why it stood out so much for this first episode. But it's not something I do every single episode. It starts off with her at the start for the first few episodes. And then they hand it over to other people like Saru or Captain Pike Ooh, or Spock. It. Depending <laughs> on Pike was doing who's it. going to be doing the thrust of the episode, I suppose. It, it goes to that character to introduce the episode so with this one we're getting young spock and we'd had young spock in at least a flashback in season one hadn't we or had we not i thought we'd seen a little boy spock i think i we vaguely did. think we did yeah i think we got a little spock but we're first introduced to the red signals in this episode which will be the arc like we're going to be following yeah. these red signals throughout each episode yeah uh and then after getting the that little memory of when Michael Burnham arrives at the, the Spock household. It's straight back to Discovery and where we left off season one with the Enterprise. It's right there, but they're not communicating for some reason. And, uh, okay, we get visual, we get audio only, which is we're beaming our captain aboard. And here we are. We're introduced to Captain Pike right off the bat uh, with... The quick explanation of, yeah, the Enterprise is severely damaged, um, taking your ship to sort out what these seven signals are. And he turns up with his security officer, Commander Nan, and some science dude. That's not Spock. Yes, because <laughs> we were all waiting for Spock. Yeah, Michael runs down expecting to see her brother, and even the way they film this, they beam down... And you can see the gold of Pike and you can see someone off to the right and you're seeing the, a blue shoulder and Michael's looking over at him with this weird look on her face and the camera just slightly moves up to it and you just see his ear and it's not pointy. <laughs> a really interesting way to introduce it. Really smart because the, it's filmed with the same anticipation we had and then the disappointment of, you're not Spock. Yeah, so you're, you're experiencing what she's experiencing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really well done. Great cinematography. Um, and he just gives it, uh, the rundown of, yeah, uh, we were out the war. We were on our five-year mission and we're too far out to, to be called back to, to participate in the war, um, which may be why Spock has no experience in war. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's probably one of the first examples of the show speaking to the audience. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just we so to, you yeah. know, we've, yeah. been, we've been busy. We've been doing our own thing. We're too far to help. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> check it out. we got the sweet new costumes, which you've got these nice Discovery uniforms that everyone has with the blue. I was going to say, I think they refer to them as uniforms as well. I yeah. know we've been saying costumes on the show. Yeah. They are uniforms. They are not yeah. costumes. But I do like how when on the Discovery that they do switch it up and wear the Discovery uniforms. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, right off the bat, Anson Mount establishes himself as Captain Pike. It's absolutely incredible. He really yeah. is so good. Give me a Pike show. Yeah. 
And, you know, he's sheepish. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Saru, but I'm taking over your ship. Yeah, he's yeah. honestly, I love everything about the performance. I really do. Yeah, um, you that you check in with Tilly, who goes to Stamets. You, you're kind of checking on in with everyone uh, before they go investigate this first signal. So uh, Stamets is like, uh, yeah, you can take all of this stuff. Um, not interested. I'm not going to continue studying the spores anymore. I'm getting a teaching job. You have uh, at the at the start, Sarek is still on board. So he sees that um, Spock's not with them, and he's like, "Huh, that's weird." But with this little exchange, you also get that he and Michael are both estranged from Spock. Like neither of them has spoken to him for years. Maybe because Sarek, Sarek, it turns out, was a bit of a dick as a dad. <laughs> Too emotionless. To this is the way things are done. Telling, you know, do what I say, not what I do. No explanation. And that's why Spock had a close relationship with his mom, Amanda. Yeah. And the best thing for me for the st- for this episode, or the, at least the start of this episode, is Pike gets on to the bridge. He has to have... They have to authenticate him before he's allowed to take Discovery, which is a new thing they introduced during the war. And Tilly accidentally displays his service record on the view screen for everyone to see. <laughs> and Pike is very like, no, 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 don't bring that down. I want you to have a look at that, guys. And you get to see his commendations and stuff, but he's got a big F in astrophysics. And he's like, that's right, I failed. I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I don't get that. You see his weakness, his his humanity, his his easygoing nature, which allows him to, to smooth out things with the crew. Um, they establish him very, very quickly. You know exactly who he is. Yeah, he knows the deal with what, what happened with Lorca. He's been briefed. He's not Lorca. And they they roll into the, the... They quickly jump to where the first signal is. And we get a roll call. He does... Everyone on the bridge, don't tell me who you're ranks it's irrelevant and then we first get our actual introduction to these bridge crewers okay. we had for a whole season so what you're saying is i'm just wrong i'm yeah. saying the show doesn't introduce the characters when really they no, do because... they do but it's like i said you kind of expected everyone to get a moment and they they don't really but they get a name they get a distinctive look yeah you know what i feel as though they are being serviced by the show and by us by dedicating a section to the bridge crew yeah um, they, they, I really enjoyed this. Uh, even the things with, they get there, come out of rock, and he's like, uh, "Where's my red thing?" There was supposed to be a big red thing because they get to the signal and there's just an asteroid or a comet going through space. No red signal where they were supposed to. Um, but what there is is a crashed Federation ship on this asteroid. And this is where we pick up Jet Reno. She has been stuck there for 10 months, keeping the crew alive using her engineering prowess, not her doctor prowess, because she's not a physician. And uh, you get a little, through this rescue mission, we lose not Spock. They do a like, little, a, a little thing here, the opposite. He's not the red shirt, he's the blue shirt, but it's the blue shirt who dies on the away mission. And the red shirt, shirt survives. Yeah. We knew that not Spock couldn't be around. <laughs> he had to leave to make way for actual Spock. Yeah, but uh, it's just a nice little subversive 
a switch of expectation. Um, but yeah, they they get everyone off this crept down ship, but something happens. She gets left behind. Uh, she sees the red angel, and then Pike comes down to comes back to rescue her. Um, and while they do that, they catch a fragment of this asteroid because it's made from some exotic material that should allow them to uh, manipulate dark matter. And a little thing that will come in later, which I noticed on the second viewing, at the end, you know, he's getting ready, the ready room that was Lorca's. He's still got the, the fortune cookies on there, opens one up. Not every cage is a prison, nor uh. every loss eternal. That's foreshadowing, of course, for an episode later for yeah, Pike. Yeah, of course. Nice, I like that. Yeah, very smartly done. Great first episode. Really good at re- establishing the new dynamic of the entire crew. Episode two. she go, uh, Michael Burnham goes over to the Enterprise at the end of the first episode, looks at Spock's logs, and he drew the signals two months before they started appearing. So everyone's like, okay, where's Spock? We should go get him. Oh, he's in a mental health facility. We should really speak to him. What's going on? Um, and you find out that he checked himself in as well. Yeah, he checked himself in. And uh, that's why he's not. he wasn't on the Enterprise. They have signal number two. Over Terra Elysium, it the only reason they can get there because it's so far out. It's in the Beta Quadrant. Is the Spore Drive? They jump, they get there, and it's a good thing they had that asteroid thing fragment that is su- super dense because radioactive material is going to wipe out all life on the planet, and only the density of this asteroid allows them to pull the radioactive material away. Uh, we also get a gr- some good character moments with. Uh, Captain Pike on the surface with these uh, these humans who have lost all technology and they have a cobbled together religion of every all the survivors who were brought there by the Red Angel. For those who watch Umbrella Academy, the actress who played Agnes is the leader. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, I missed that. Yeah, because I watched Umbrella Academy after this, so it's on the rewatch that I noticed that's who that was. But this is the episode I mentioned earlier with Jacob. He's like, I believe you're from outer space. Yes. And they're saying, no, we're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you He's know, like, no, 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 prime, no, no, no yeah, you're prime directive. Prime directive. We can't, we can't tell you. But then uh, Pike goes down. He's like, look. It goes back at the end. Yeah. Psst, you're right. <laughs> right. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Playing fast and loose with the rules. But it's good that they didn't leave him thinking he was insane. Yeah. <laughs> like they completely validated his theories. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, episode three, uh, Tilly is seeing someone who's not there in the last episode. Well, oh, this is a... where it starts. When she starts seeing the girl from, was it from school or from yeah. the academy? From somewhere. Yeah, who speaks with uh, a Caribbean type accent. Um, she has a unique way of talking. May is the name That's of the character. Right. May. That's her. Uh, yeah, she when she was getting a, a sample of the asteroid, in the previous episode there was an energy discharge and ever since then she's been seeing this well she she's realized a person who's not there now she's doing her young officer training uh this comes back later in the, it's not until the end of the episode where michael's 
emotional and she wants a distraction. Um, she Tilly's breaking down because this this May person's been basically stalking her for a whole episode and she can't get anything done. She has to quit after being snarky at Captain Pike. Yeah, I was going to say, it does lead to some funny moments because it's Tilly interacting with May, who nobody else can see. Yeah. So the character that she's facing is under the impression that she's addressing them. So it, it did lead to some fun moments. But the whole May storyline, I didn't really enjoy that too much. No, no, it does drag on. Michael figures out that, oh, you're not seeing something that's not there because how come she doesn't know what tears are? What teenage girl has never cried? None. It's impossible. It must be something else. And with Stamets' help, they figure out at the end of the first season, a spore dropped on her shoulder. That's right, and they yep. made sure to focus in on that. And this is the pickup of that. Turns out that an extra dimensional fungus has or entity is inside her and they need to pull it out. Uh, we also get this is the Klingon heavy episode. We have this is the line, you know, we, we check in with the Klingons. They've grown their hair back since the war. Okay. And that's episode three. That's, yep. This is episode three. Um, the other thing they are, a bit of fan service, is season one, all the Klingon ships looked weird. We've never seen them look that way on Star Trek before. But now with a united Klingon empire, the Rail has commissioned the D7 cruiser, which is very familiar to Star Trek fans. Uh, as the new ships they will be using from here on out are more homogenous style rather than an old house ship that only like senior members can can enjoy. Well, I felt that in Such Sweet Sorrow Part Two when the Klingons arrive, you knew about the ships. It's the Klingons. Yeah, I'm glad that they did that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah you really needed to. For um, me, that's more important than if they have hair or not. Yeah. <laughs> the Klingon ships look like Klingon ships. Yeah. Because all the ships in Star Trek are very distinctive designs. Yeah, there are, there are cultural touchstones that make them immediately identifiable. Same with Star Wars. X-Men's for the good guys, TIE Fighters for the bad guys, Green Lasers, Red Lasers, pew pew. You, it should be immediately recognisable who's who. Yeah. And, they, and they're doing that in the show. Yeah. Now they're doing it. They weren't doing it in season one. Yeah. Um... But yeah, this is a big Amanda episode as well. She turns up on Discovery looking for Spock. Um, she has stolen his medical records because they wouldn't let him access to him at the medical facility. Uh, and she convinces Captain to help let her break into him. We also find out that Vok had a son with Laurel. Uh, but there's a bunch of they don't like a woman in charge at uh, the Klingon homeworld. There's a bit of backstabbery. And with the assistance of Philippa Giorgio, they managed to save Lorel and Tyler and their unborn son and establish uh, Lorel's ownership of her governance of the Klingon Empire. But they have to doctor like her son was killed, beheaded, and they drop the kid off, the real uh, still alive baby at Barath, and that's where uh, Ash ends up in Section Thirty One because he's been signed up by Philippa Giorgio. Um, yeah, episode four. This is where we meet number one. She 
hand delivers the news to uh, Captain Pike, the what's going on with the Enterprise. The holographic system is the what's creating the massive system problems. Yank the whole thing out. This is why we don't have holograms in the rest of Star Trek. The system that produces them causes system disruptions, so they go back to using old-fashioned view screens. So again, Star Trek fans, yeah. <laughs> if you're wondering why, this is why. Yep. Um, having used a fragment of the asteroid to extract the fungus thing out of Tilly last episode, they're studying it. But on their way to intercept uh, Spock's stolen shuttle, they come across this big sphery thing. This is probably the most classic style Star Trek episode of the whole season. This big sphere thing. It's got them in, in trapped. They can't get away from it. Their systems are failing because of something that the sphere is doing. Um, it caught Saru sick. It, we saw a previous episode when the crew members has a cold. Is Saru sick? No, it turns out he's going through Farahai. The thing that, is, that will eventually kill him, that all Kelpians go to, it's somehow been triggered by the sphere. But before he goes, the Universal Translators on a uh, <laughs> on the gurgler and no one can communicate. Thank God Saru's there to help fix everything because he speaks 94 languages. Um and this is where we also get the first back and forth with Stamets and Jet Reno because she's gone down to engineering to help secure power um, and you get the great snarky bits where she's better at being snarky than Stamets is. Oh, she's the best. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they solve it. The sphere is dying and it wants to pass on its 100,000 years worth of knowledge so it doesn't die with it. And it needs discovery to absorb the knowledge. And it's Saru that figures it out. They do a really good job acting here emotionally uh, with Doug Jones and Sonequa Martin-Green towards the end where he wants her to finish his life for him before he goes insane. Really, really, really well done acting for the both of them. The other thing that happens, and this is how the episode closes out, and this is great, the fungus organism thing has escaped, reattached itself to Tilly, and has dosed uh, Reno and Stamets with psilocybin. It's like, oh my god, I don't remember you were a high being. I was thinking <laughs> just the same thing. They're yeah. tripping balls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stamets figures it out because obviously he works with mushrooms and yep. understands. And after realizing uh, Tilly's gone, lost to the mycelial network. And that's what episode five. The whole thing, and this is a great episode. They need to retrieve her from inside the mycelial network. And the only way to do that is to do a half jump. So they're half inside one reality, half in regular reality. And it looks like, like it's half submerged in water. And that effect was great because it's like the, it was about to do the spin and then stops. Yeah. It just stops dead still and just quiet. But this is what I was talking about before, you know, about family, how. Pike is willing to put everybody's lives at risk to save the missing crew members. But do you think on an individual basis that everybody was like asked, are you okay with doing this? 
Do you know what I mean? Like, what about all the red shirts? Yeah. <laughs> That's like, I, don't, I was yeah. not consulting now. Listen, I like Tilly, don't get me wrong. But we're doing what now? We might all die. I just don't feel as though they gave enough time to check with the whole crew. Yeah, hundreds of crew members. Bridge crew, are you okay? Good enough for me. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, staff leaders have promised that we won't leave you behind. Yeah, hundreds to save one. That that, that math does not work out. That is not the Vulcan way. <laughs> Well, they succeed. Uh, <laughs> they succeed. They and, succeed. And, yeah, it's a visually interesting episode. It's really interesting because just beforehand, they catch up to Spock's shuttle and it's Philip and Georgia on board. That's right. So the second time we didn't see Spock, we thought, this yeah. is it. Yeah. This is the moment. Nope. Yeah, for the first <laughs> half no of the Spock. season, this becomes a running, almost like a running gag. It's not a gag. As a viewer, it was really annoying watching it week to week. When's Spock going to turn up? And then, oh, he's got a beard. Yeah. But then the beard won me over. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, while they're inside the mycelial network, turns out Hugh Colber, Dr. Hugh is in there in energy form, accidentally put there by Stamets when he was connected. And that's who may, the entity has required Tilly help because uh, he's destroying the ecosystem. That's it. Cause he was the threat that they went there to stop. And then you yeah. found out it's Hugh and then they realized that. If he leaves, or he can't, or is it he can't leave, or if he, he can't, leaves, he can't he... leave the way they got in because yeah. he's not made up of, of material from the normal network, from so the normal he area. He wouldn't exist outside of there, but that's when you mentioned before how they grow him out of mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they they found a way to bring him back, mushrooms. Yeah, um, and they the they don't they shouldn't have enough time, but uh, Giorgio blackmails Leland the. Guy, head of the section 31 using information she has over him to you help the discovery because otherwise it would have slipped in and probably killed all the crew because if they had come into contact with the barrier they would have been turned inside out which is what happened in the third episode of season one when discovery goes to its sister ship and they find the tardigrade there must have been a jump that went wrong and all the crew members got turned inside out so Leland here, you can okay. So here's a guy. He's running things, and he's a bit corrupt. He's got, you know, she's got, she's able to blackmail him. But that's who this guy's going to be. But then when the character evolves and he's taken over, it's not where I thought that character would go. The no. direction to take for him. No, absolutely not. Um, our next episode, episode six, this ties directly into the short brighter star because a third signal has appeared. And it's above Saru's homeworld of Kamina. Um, meanwhile, Dr. Colbo is having trouble adjusting. He's going through all these searches. Um, because Saru did not die. He evolved. And his threat response is gone. This is what happened after the sphere. Um, so he realizes that everything his people were told is a lie. And he has a great display of tension when he wants to go down to the surface. And Pike's like, I know it's your homeworld. But I don't know if you can be objective and not spoil the whole secret that your race is artificially enslaved. The concept in this episode is one of my favourites of the season. You find out that his species were actually the dominant species. Yeah. And the other one has used technology to manipulate. It's just brilliant. So they're essentially killing themselves before they evolve into a, a stronger state of being. Yeah, uh, and this is what we get from the sphere data from a few episodes back, is it had 
recorded all of this uh, biological data, but there had been a civil war like a, a thousand years beforehand where, yeah, the Kelpians, once they go through uh, Varahai, become, uh, instead of being fearful and like submissive, become dominant and aggressive and almost wiped out their masters, the Ba'ul, who somehow, like I said, with their technological prowess, managed to push them back and decreed that's never going to happen again. Um, and when Saru turns up on the Discovery, they're like, wait, he's he's gone through Farahai. Like, and they were ignoring Starfleet entirely until they saw Saru, and they're like, no, 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 that guy does not leave. Yep. He dies. Um, but thank God that the Red Angel turns up to help. They uh, use that sphere signal to evolve all Kelpians to that state. And the Red Angel makes sure that the Baal can't use their technology to, to wipe out the Kelpians beforehand. And they have to find some kind of weird middle ground. But at least Saru gets a reunite, to reunite with his sister. His this... sister who he left behind. Did you yeah. like the concept of the Red Angel? Like when, when it would, before we knew what it, before we get to the reveal, did you enjoy every now and then the Red Angel will just pop up at particular moments in time? Yeah, because I thought it would be that typical that we'd find out where it was, and I was curious because I was trying to figure out the whole time. It was a, it was a mystery for my brain to solve. Right. Of, okay. Yeah. Who I is mean, this? I, yeah. Why are they doing this? I was going with it, but I, I don't know because some of these episodes do feel. I think you've said it already. They feel like classic Star Trek, almost like a one and done. But you know, part of a bigger arc. It's kind of like it's a, an adventure in itself. And then all of a sudden, this red angel just tacks on in the end. Oh, okay, so it's actually part of a bigger thing. Yeah. And it uh, ties together well. But when I was going episode to episode, I don't know, it didn't work for me as much. Yeah, and um, it's also this episode, like, because Saru sees it and he has better vision, he, he's able to identify that it's an advanced suit that's with a right. human Humanoid. Void. Yeah. Yep. Um, number seven, after this... Section 31 uh, Matt convinces Starfleet to leave Discovery out the search for Spock. Um, so let's, let's look at this temporal rift thing that got left behind from when the Red Angel was just here. Uh, meanwhile, Burnham heads to Vulcan to speak to her mother about Spock. And guess who's there? Spock! Episode 7 out of 14, we finally see Spock. <laughs> yes. And he is a babbling, incoherent mess. But, yes, uh, is her mother, Amanda, had, had tracked him down, and he's been hiding, even from her from Spock's father, Sarek, by hiding him in this area where these crystals that stopped uh, Sarek from being able to sense their son. But when Sarek... He follows them because he's not an idiot. <laughs> he uh he instructs Michael to take her take him in because it's her job and she will be arrested again if this doesn't happen. But this is a a a, a second time where Giorgio comes to the rescue because she warns Michael. Yeah, Leland's using Terran technology to steal the memories out. It will kill Spock. You need to get him out of here. And she uh, helps them escape. And the next episode is where they go to Talos 4. And he opens previously on Star Trek. Which 
I thought I'd clicked on the wrong <laughs> yes, episode the too. first time I saw it. And this. you know what? I loved every minute of it. Yeah. Like, I had uh, Star Trek The Cage, the unaired pilot on VHS. Yeah. I used to watch it a lot. I always found it like really novel and I enjoyed it. So I was very familiar with the episode. And we both are from the sounds of it. So yeah. watching this episode and the way that it opens, you had a momentarily, ooh, have I clicked the wrong thing here? Yeah. Now put your mind in the headspace of someone who isn't a Star Trek fan has only watched Discovery. Must be pretty confusing. Yeah, because they even did the thing where it's in its original format, so you have to black on the things when they're doing the previously. Uh, and it's a good thing they give you a recap of what that original pilot was, because all of this information is necessary to make heads or tails of the episode itself. You see the original Pike, you see uh, Vina, you see the Telosians and the singing blue flowers and everything else. So this, Smiling Spock. <laughs> this is the most fan service that we've got from Discovery so far. Yeah. And as a fan of Star Trek in general, it does work for me. But I do think it could confuse people that only watch it on CBS All Access, only watch it on Netflix and watch it because, oh, there's this new Star Trek. And this comes on and you're like, hey, wait, what? Huh? Like I I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. But it, it worked completely for me. Because it's like previously on, it's like, hang on a minute, that didn't happen in episode seven. That happened in the 60s. Yeah. But I, I loved that episode. This is where we've got Melissa George. Yeah, as Vina, who she's a human that crashed uh, on Talos 4. Which is uh, left disfigured, but they allow her to appear young and beautiful yeah, like she did. And experience, and it's completely real for her because the Telosians have a very strong illusionary uh, telepathic ability uh, when Michael and Spock first arrive in orbit it looks like a black hole but he steers them down and forces them in because he knows it's an illusion but he t- he's taken them there because he knows the Telosians will be able to figure out how to fix his mind with their own powers and allow Michael to experience those memories to help him work through them. Uh, but Michael had to use some intelligence. He was writing down the coordinates, but because of the way his mind is broken, he was writing them down backwards. But because of them both having been read Alice in Wonderland as kids, she realizes mirror image, the, the numbers are backwards. Really smart. Um, she has to share, this is where we find out, what it was that she did to Spock. That's right, that really <laughs> bad thing that she did. She was mean to him. Yeah, um, yeah. although she did call him a half-breed. Like, yeah, maybe that you know, was yeah, supposed that... to be more of an insult than I guess. we I pick guess. up. But they're Vulcans, why do they care? Like, they're not supposed to be emotional like this. But he is half-human, so you know. Yeah, um, but Stamets and uh, leaves Colba, uh, they're still having trouble. Colba... Um, Sta- uh, can't fall back into his old, old way of life and they they break up um but the, the other thing that we get here is arium has been compromised by the weird probe from the end of the last episode that's right she's downloading and deleting things yeah from we, the from the memory banks. yeah and someone has sabotaged the spore drive and has been sending encrypted information that's arium but she makes it look like it's Tyler, and he gets arrested. Even after Tyler and uh, Pike have a great moment. Oh, they have a great moment on the shuttle. Yeah, you know, but and he immediately was like, "Oh, I don't trust you." <laughs> Sorry, like evidence to the contrary. You do work for those those weirdos. 
But that leads into episode nine, where they do find that there is somebody, there's a traitor in the midst, that somebody yeah. is playing for the other side, and it's revealed that it's her, and then this episode is a fast-forward through her life, her experiences, <laughs> yeah. and dead yeah and she she dies at the end yeah and yeah. she and she gets a funeral like she actually gets a proper a proper send-off yeah because the other thing that happens in the uh in the talos episode is stamet uh dr colbach you and ash fight in the mess hall because that's he's like, right you yeah. killed me and like i don't even know who i am anymore because because he's a completely fresh body his senses nothing feels correct and ash is like <laughs> Like I don't know what it's like to not have be feel like you're a completely different person, and he doesn't fight back, but he also doesn't allow himself to get his ass kicked. And Saru allows this little therapeutic session to happen, which was really good. But and I th- I think if that is earlier Saru, season one Saru, I don't think he would not have let it play no, out. No, no, not at all. They it's, really it's... have improved his character. I, yeah. I really stand by that. Yeah. The other thing we get, which is a great character moment, is the brother sister. Spock's being kind of a dick to Michael and her her strike back. You really think the beard's working for you? And that shuts him up. Yeah. Epic burn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the next episode, directed by number one himself, Jonathan Frakes. Oh, William Riker. Wow. He's back. Yeah, this is the it's called Requiem for Arium, and she's the half cybernetic character she's this whole time they go to a section 31 headquarters admiral cornwell comes aboard with them they know section 31's dodgy but yeah arium this this is a typical this is classic original trek let's quickly explain who this person is and why we should care about them because we're about to kill them off um well frakes is the right man for the job exactly we want some classic trek let's see if Riker is free yeah um they're on section 31 which is an ex an old prison surrounded by mines. They do some really great visuals on this are amazing. Really well done. Um, it's Michael, uh, uh, Nan, the tactical officer and Arium fight. She's being completely controlled and she, uh, Tilly reaches her and she has pleads to Michael. You have to shoot me at the airlock. And it's the, tactical officer who does it she's the one that takes a shot yeah because but beforehand she drops a little bit of information they need find project daedalus uh but there's also another like jive here jab between spock and michael the the sibling you're really enjoying that aren't you (laughs) it's one of my favorite things of the whole season but uh there's a few lines you keep attending a plant that is dead because she keeps trying to set, uh, rescue things, and that's him. You need to move on. But also, unlike Ensign Tilly, you exhibit no individual expression whatsoever. It's quite an accomplishment, if slightly mundane. He's talking about... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, all these little jab, jabs and jives are awesome. I love it. It sounds like you want a single-camera sitcom spin-off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spock and Michael. <laughs> yeah, the Spock household. Uh, episode 10, yeah. It starts off with the funeral... For this person, and we get a bunch of this bridge crew of like... This person that we just found out about? Yeah, and what they mean to us, and I know you probably don't know who I am because I haven't had a character moment, but let me give you this speech about this person I like I'm so much. I'm from the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's through the information on this, Tilly, they're having a debriefing after the funeral. 
We had a reading on the Red Angel, and it's Michael. What? But no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's Michael's mother, which we find out the next episode. And this ended this episode. Yeah, we find out. So I was at the point where I'm thinking, you know what? It's Michael, isn't it? And this, it is. I'm like, ha ha! It's her mother. Ho ho! Yeah, yeah. But then you find it is. Ha ha! Yeah, so I was right all along. Yeah, but they uh they figure out the specifications because Project Daedalus, it turns out, was run by Leland and Michael's actual parents were the ones who built the suit. And Leland knew all along whilst yeah. interacting with Michael that like he had this secret that he kept close to his chest. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It also lets them know that they have the schematics for the Red Angel suit, which will be important later on. Um, when uh, they have this great moment between Giorgio, Hugh, Stamets, and Tilly while they're coming up with building the trap that will catch the Red Angel, where she's flirting with Stamets and with Hugh. Tilly's trying to work around it because she doesn't want uh, any of the weird awkwardness. And they're like, what the hell just happened? As Giorgio does yeah. this all. It's so great. Yeah, that's no, good. But uh, when Michael finds out that Leland is kind of responsible for a parent's death, she breaks his nose. It's good. And that leads to like a reconciliation between her and Spock, who sits down, who's like, uh, I'm like, I would have, I feel like I would have liked to watch you punch that guy's face in. Like, well done. It was good to see them on the same page for the first time. Yeah, but Michael has to suffocate on the surface and Spock has to stop everyone from intervening and he's the only one willing to do it. And we watch her choke to death and so does the entire bridge crew and it's really, really well done, really well acted. So the other thing that happens at the end, happens at the end of this episode, Leland gets jabbed in the eye. Turns out he's been infected... Oh, he's been incapacitated by control itself. Um, and with Arium dead, uh, for the whole of the first season, Arium was played by Sarah Mitch- Midditch. She basically had no dialogue or anything to do. For season two, it was played by Hannah Cheeseman. After she gets killed, the pers- position on the bridge that gets filled is by the original actress. Oh, right. And she is then there for the rest of the season. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, it, there I must be some scheduling conflict, but right. that's how they uh, they flipped it around. But for the whole next episode, we're on this planet. They've caught the Red Angel, Burnham's mum. Leland's pumped full of nanites, so control can t- control his body literally. You know, it was a pretty cool way to find out. Stabbed in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, the little jab of the needle. Um, and he immediately wants to steal the sphere data because that's what controls all about uh sends ash to do it but he immediately susses something's up they can't delete the sphere data it's the sphere's sentience is still somehow attached and won't allow this the data to be erased so their plan is they need to get rid of it to keep it out of control's hands we'll put it in the red angel suit and when it gets launched into the future, the information goes with it. The control can never get hold of it. But he's also, but Leland's also manipulated Philippa into helping him. Um, when she's had, but when she's having this little 
chat with Mama Burnham, she says a line which Control itself had said, and she figures it out, and she enlists Ash's help because they both love Michael. Right. Like, we got to do this. Um, He ends up getting stabbed by Leland, who goes down and goes full Terminator, like trying to execute everyone on the surface. Uh, but in we've also had Michael going through her mum's logs, establishing time travel. The kind of the there's a lot of exposition going on in this episode, explaining kind of how time travel is going to work for the the purposes of the show, and we also find out that this is uh, the Red Angel, her mum, didn't send the signals. What? What signals are you talking about? Uh, and Sp- the reason why Spock was chosen to be talked to by her mum is he has, he's logical because he's Vulcan, but he has dyslexia, and that's the reason why he's able to properly perceive is, is the dyslexia language. or was it Spatial dyslexia. Right, okay. I thought they were, like, presenting him as being autistic, but he's actually... Like a learning disability, right, okay. specifically. Right, Um They managed to stop it, but not they couldn't get rid of the sphere, sphere data... Uh, Burnham's mum's back in the future, but her time crystal shot. Uh, control escapes on its number on its sh- um, on its ship. Um, Ash is critically wounded; he gets stabbed, but he's back on Discovery. And then, next episode, the Force signal above the Klingon world of Borath, which is where Tyler and Lorel's son was dropped off. Remember, they need a time crystal. Turns out, Borath. Where they come from. And this is where Pike sees his own horrific fate. Yeah. And yeah. if he follows through with the plan, that what he sees will come true, and it leaves him all disfigured, his face is part melting, and he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, just like that classic episode, uh, the Menagerie from the original series. That's it, it's a tying into what's come before again. Yeah. But if he makes a different choice, that's not necessarily going to come to pass. But that's speaking to his character where he's still always going to do the right thing. Yeah, uh, he has a line. He believes in service, sacrifice, compassion and love. And you kind of see his resolve as he's like, I will accept this and I, because it's what's necessary. You know, I mean, they do have the stakes fairly high, the, the all sentient life in the universe is going to be wiped out. If they high stakes. But still, he's putting everybody else ahead of himself. Yeah. It was a good yeah. character moment. Yeah, phenomenal. Uh, when this aired, my brother called me. He's like, we have to talk about <laughs> Captain Pike. He's so incredible. I mean, he really is. He's yeah. such a great character. Yeah, we also, um, in the meantime, uh, Michael and Spock go investigate this Section 31 ship that failed to check in. And... One of the original members from the Shenzhou of the first two episodes, Discovery, is there. Surprise! He's actually also being controlled by Control. Uh, and wants to infect Michael because he she is a variable it can't predict. Yeah. Um, and Spock saves her. Like a glitch in the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Spock uses this idea of uh, to, to neutralize the the nanites that are trying to infect her which works really well it comes it's smart and it does come up later uh in the next two episodes the finale i watched these back to back 
And from beginning to end, absolutely loved it. Like, I watched it alone because my wife, she doesn't watch Star Trek outside of the JJ films. Yeah. Last time I'm going to mention this. <laughs> she does not watch it. And I was watching it all alone. You got the big space battles, nobody else in the room. And I said out loud to myself, it's like a movie. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> and, then, and then I caught myself straight away. I said that to myself, but I, I was just caught up and it is, oh my word, it is a solid, solid finale. Like the effects, the characters, I love this. Yeah, um, this is with the reintroduction of Poe from the Runaway episode because we have our fifth signal. Turns out that Poe has a way of charging their little time crystal they just got their hands on. Which is handy. Yeah, which is super handy. And good thing that Tilly knows of because they also have a way to contact her and know everything else. I love how they greeted each other. So you've got, you know, they're there at the teleporters and and Poe arrives. And then you've got Pike and he's all ready to, like, you know, greet royalty. And then straight away she's like, Tilly! And runs past Pike and they have a big hug. Yeah, she's like, oh my God, ice cream! But again, if you did not watch Short Tracks... You don't get what's happening right now. Like, how do they know each other? Because it doesn't really get explained beyond that. Yeah, and uh, Pike, when he officially, when she steps back and goes back into formal mode and he greets her, he uses her full name accurately. And she's like, wow, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> and Giorgio doesn't like ice cream. <laughs> we no, find out. No, yeah, yeah. What oh, is this disgusting. goo? <laughs> yeah, garbage. Um, but before we got to this, they're actually going to abandon Discovery completely, but uh, Pike leaves Burnham with the time crystal alone, so of course she touches it, sees the future, figures out that they're going to, to destroy the sphere data, they're going to set off the auto-destruct on Discovery, it's not going to work, they can't destroy the ship because the sphere data won't let them... Um, it, it's then a good thing she did just touch the crystal. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be able to get back onto the ship at all. Um, they've got the spore drive back and working. They fixed that the last episode. So that's how they jump ahead to where Poe is. But all of Section 31 is chasing them. And there's a lot of them. There is a, a, yeah, a lot of ships, like 30 ships. Um, the Enterprise has to get there the old way uh, by warp. So that gives them like a buffer of when they rock up 10 minutes later. And that used to be impressive enough. You know, yeah. when, when, when the ships had warp, that used to be pretty impressive. Yeah. Now it's referred to as, you know, the Enterprise had to get there the old way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is also where you deliver the line about they're not using holographic communications anymore um, because Control has been using holograms as well. This is why they probably do it wide. They can fa- it can fake holograms with perfect precision, except for temperature fluctuations tied to emotions, um, which Saru picked up again because he sees in the ultraviolet spectrum. Uh, they quickly cobbled together. Oh, we're going to build the suit. Uh, it is Michael who was the red angel. All along, yeah. yeah. I got a Avengers Endgame, whatever it takes vibe <laughs> yeah she's going back through time to fix i don't want to spoil we're not spoiling endgame but going through time fix points yeah it needs to happen in a particular way and you find out all along that what she was seeing other people were seeing it was always michael yeah 
also having watched it for a second time which thank god the first time i watched it they have all these little shuttles and other things to help them in the fight against when the section 31 ships rock up number one commandeered the shuttles and tactical flyers in case shit hit the fan her own words <laughs> thank yes. god that line was there because <laughs> the whole time the first time i saw it i'm like where do they get all this crap and they you know retrofitted weapons and stuff on the shuttles but, but how cool was it when you had section 31 they had their ships and then the, and then you know the the crew of the discovery the referencing like oh well we know how many ships you've got and Leland's like, well, actually. And then they all split off into like multiple little ships. Yeah, now they're horribly outnumbered. And this is where I'm watching a movie. It's like watching yeah. a movie. This was the moment and it's all kicking off. And then the Klingons show up. Saru's sister. It's like, yeah. oh, look, she learned how to fly a ship. Yeah, because uh, the first half of this episode, 13, um, they give you about technical jargon, which literally translates to it's a one-way trip. They use this time crystal to drag Discovery into the future. There, there's no coming back. Um, the crew aren't going to let Michael go off alone. Some of them are going to go with her. Not Tyler. He wants to make sure that something like Control can never happen again. And he fucks off before the, the big battle starts. Which is a good thing he does because he's the one who gets the Klingons and uh, Saru's sister. He gets the battle fighters and everything which turns to tie the battle because... They were taking a beating before yeah, that. Yeah, so he, pretty integral to everything that we, that we're talking about. But he has, ends up with a big promotion, the head of Section oh, 31. Yeah. Because we know that's getting a spin-off. And Michelle Yao is in it, so why has she gone to the future? I she, this, she Surely she should not be there. <laughs> I suspect this was all... They are definitely doing another show. Not Picard, which is coming at the end of this year. There's supposed to be something more, which was a Section 31 show. But that's still happening, isn't it? That's what they say. Having the, the way this season ends, I think the re that placeholder was just there so we didn't see the end coming here. Oh, you think it was a red herring? Yeah, because you could always do that Section 31 show. There's with no Tyler. Yeah, with Tyler. But it won't be with Giorgio because, of course, she's on the Discovery in the future. That would be some great misdirection if that's what they've done. Yeah. Or it turns out we are going to follow up on the Discovery and Giorgio's there. But we're going to start pick up in the future. That might be what the show is. Or, alternatively, maybe we follow Captain Pike and the crew of the and old crew of the Enterprise. Because we are getting Discovery Season 3. That's, that's what confirmed. they've said. Yeah. That's now I'm just confused because I thought a particular set of things were happening and maybe now they're not. Did you hear the big announcement? They revealed the title for the Star Trek Picard show. Yeah. And they're calling it Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Perfect. But you know, like... <laughs> yeah, I didn't I mean, need an announcement for that. No, like, no. Like, it's we it's what people it. have been referring to it as for the longest time. But the point where Discovery has gone in time, that's after Starfleet, isn't it? That's a, yeah, that's a long way away because, I mean, it should be a different future. Because they stopped all sentient life being wiped out, but it's a long time. It's like seven hundred years more. Uh, no, no, it's eight hundred or so years after Next Generation and Voyager and all of that. So, so they're finally going to get to play in a in a period or in a time that hasn't been touched by Star Trek before. Yeah, that's if they follow up with discovery and don't just use it as a way to push forward either an enterprise show with 
Captain Pike, or the actual Section 31 show, is which is what they actually announced. Hopefully, don't they don't just open Season 3 with, whew, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, oh, you, you're going in a different direction. You're presenting a different kind of show again. And what is it going to be? We'll have to just wait and see. Yeah, because the big thing with the, with the finale is Spock is like, we have to make all of this. Like the discovery, it's Spore Drive, Michael Burnham, all of this has to be, uh, like you will be uh, be in prison for treason. If so you it's speak essentially of it ever again. it's like Fight Club. The yeah. first rule of Fight Club: you don't talk about Fight Club, and that's that's what's happening here. And you do believe, knowing Spock's character, he's the kind of person that won't ever bring it up again. Yeah. See, and with him being the one that presents it as this is what we need to do, I do buy it, but it is, again, the show talking to the fans. Yeah, like, this is how we're stitching everything up. We're putting That's all why the you... toys yeah. in the box. Everything's going to be how you found it all those years ago with the original series. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you kind of needed to do that because they this was a promise when Discovery started. Once it was all finished, it was all going to stitch together. But... And that's why I'm thinking they're going to stay in the future when they come back for season three. That they're, they're going to start, they're going to spend their time elsewhere because they've tied it in a big, neat bow now. If they were to come back, yeah. they're going to have to just start explaining things away again. Yeah. Um, and it, this also might tie into the Calypso episode from Short Treks because the sphere data could be why the, enter, the discovery ends up sentient. And yeah, how that okay. guy gets onto an abandoned ship a thousand years after the crew have abandoned it. Maybe the entire crew of Discovery somehow get back, but they have to leave the ship off in the future, out of out of reach. But we're spitballing here. Uh, it's fun though, isn't it? <laughs> Just yeah, to yeah. Speculate on potential yeah. where it's going to be going. Because the the big thing this. I had to write this down because it was hard to follow. I couldn't remember it after the fact. But the seven signals. The first one was to get Jet Reno slash the dark, the asteroid thing, um, to solve their power woes for the the time crystal. The second signal, Terra Elysium, that is where they jump to in the future. It's a safe world that they know they'll be fine with. Uh, number three were the Kelpians, which they needed their help during the final battle. Number four was to actually physically get hold of the time crystal. Signal five was to get Poe, who had the technology to power the crystal. Number six was the North Star. It is where in the future, uh, Burnham's the one flying the suit, but Discovery can't follow exactly because its instruments will be useless. So it has to follow the red signal to where they're going. And the seventh and final signal was just something that Burnham did so Spock would know they made it. And it's all wrapped up there. Spock on the bridge of a shiny new Enterprise or refitted at Enterprise. He's had a shave. He's had he's a shave. He's got the blue shirt back on. Yep. He's in the traditional, uh, the one we all know him as, the traditional Spock. But throughout the whole of the se- uh, both season one and two, one thing that I like uh, Sonequa Martin-Green you kept doing she had the Spock raise of the eyebrow. She did, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a nice touch. Yeah, really well done. So ratings. It probably is no surprise. I give this 5 out of 5. 
I think it's probably the most complete from start to finish Star Trek season we've uh, oh series we've had. In, I'm including season one in that, but the acting's phenomenal. The special effects are phenomenal. The costumes, uh, the the crew. Although we don't get it built out like we do on other shows, the ones that are fleshed out, they they all have their characters arcs, and they all get to a nice logical standpoint. Um, yeah, just really well done. I and I really like how the the final episode closes out with a retooled use of the Discovery theme while Spock monologues his hopes for the future, quoting Neil deGrasse Tyson himself. Oh, really? Is that who he's quoting? Yeah. The universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. Ah, I which like Which may also be Carl Sagan. That ah, might be where Carl... You're making me like it more. Uh, I'm going to come in a little bit lower. It's more around a four for me. For the most part, I did really enjoy it and we did get some classic Trek episodes and that finale did absolutely blow me away. Uh, the Red Angel coming and going, I get it, it's integral to the whole plot, but it did take away from some of the standalone adventures that I was watching. It's a, it's a four. It's Probably on par with that first season. And a lot of what I did like is Anson Mount as yeah. Pike. He's just absolutely phenomenal. Comics. Just to finish off on, there's an upcoming Star Trek Discovery Aftermath series. Have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah. It's coming out because they have done a bunch of Star Trek Discovery comics already. And it's the same creative team. So this is going to be a three-issue series written by... Kristen Bayer, Mike Johnson with art by Joni Shastine. And that's the same team that did the other Discovery comics. One yeah. in particular, The Light of Kalis. Uh, Kalish. Kalish. Uh, yeah. Um, and they're really good. These have come through IDW. Uh, once the single issues come out, they will collect it into a, a trade paperback. But if for some reason Discovery doesn't come out in a third season, this is absolutely a way you can finish it off because as I said, they've had other stories uh, around the discovery stuff. Um, but it's coming back. CBS all access needs it. Yeah. <laughs> it needs yeah. Star Trek to, to continue. Yeah. Uh, the series, it takes place after the events of the season two finale. It will be focusing on Spock as he deals with the loss of his sister. Yeah. Which, you know, that, like we said, when D Dr. Colbert came back, he was dealing with the issues of having been dead and this is something Star Trek always does, their character moments. People don't just step back into the fray. They have to have the time to resolve it. Even someone like Spock. I mean, he is half human, but there is going to be an adjustment period of having lost a family member. So while waiting for more Star Trek, I mean, we are getting Picard at the end of this year. We're also we're getting done. the animated comedy from uh, the creators of Rick and Morty. We're Lower also Decks. getting another Star Trek cartoon on Nickelodeon. This one is going to be aimed at kids. Ah. That's another one. And then Discovery, I'm guessing, is going to be sometime next year. Yeah. It'll, it'll come back. It's They've announced it. I reckon that is coming back. What form it'll take, we don't know. But it's definitely going to come back. Yeah. So that's it for our episode all about Star Trek Discovery Season 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. 
Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.